Man, hear those frogs. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's frogs, right? It's gotta be frogs. I don't know. I mean, you always hear about cicadas in Japan. Maybe it's a mix of both, like a background of cicadas and then frogs. It's not as bad tonight cause it's, it's kind of cold, but man, there are nights when, uh, I'm still in Fukuoka. This is like right at the end. I got a couple days to go. And I'm just sitting on this balcony at my Airbnb with this sweet view of the mountain. It's all dark and shit. But uh, there's times when those frogs, because there's like a rice paddy just outside of here. And uh, I guess they live down there at night. And they get so loud that even though I always sleep with earplugs because I got sensitive ears, I'll like close all the windows and shit. And I still, through earplugs it's like the frogs are so loud <laughs> like what in the fuck like i like being on the outskirts of towns away from the center because uh, the noise you know i fucking hate the noise but it's unbelievable how loud <laughs> just the natural world can be if you want to by the way see this fucking mountain that i've been talking about so much in these episodes it's such a cool little path down the mountain that i decided to make a youtube video because i looked up like you know fukuoka japan youtube stuff like just just watch some shit you know top 10 things to do in fukuoka and it's all kind of the same stuff so i thought i'd make my little top one fucking weird thing that i found cool hiking path that i found to the observation deck so just search Google for Fukuoka, how to, oh shit, what's it called? Let me see. Oh. How to hike to the Aburayama Katai observation deck. And uh, it'll come up. But yeah, I filmed a little thing, uh, fucking going up on the path and recorded some commentary about it. And uh, I think it's cool. But anyway, hey, let's get fucking, let's get pretentious, man. Sitting here at 2.30 in the morning, just looking out at the scenery. I was just thinking about one of the things that in general is nice about getting older is it's easier to hold like contradictions in your mind. I'm sure I've brought this up or something along these lines where you know, I was a, a lot more black and white in my thinking when I was younger, and I think that's generally true about a lot of young people. It's interesting because when I was a teenager, I was all into Ayn Rand, so my weird, you know, fucking uh, not well-developed uh, opinions about things were, you know, if you had to to go by the uh, American dichotomy, you know, they're more right-leaning, more conservative-y type shit, I guess, where nowadays I feel like the uh, battle-axe, ball-busting, crazy people, it's way more left-leaning <laughs> and way more liberal people that are just uh, single-minded nuts. And I think that's interesting in general, just that 
the left and the right, it really doesn't matter. It's like, I really do think that horseshoe view of dual-sided politics really is true. It's like, if you're really far on the right or really far on the left, if you're really dedicated to your one single-minded thing, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's supposedly on one side or on the other side. The horseshoe wraps around, and you're closer to your direct competition than you are to everybody in the center, you know, to just reasonable people. But I don't know, it's hard to be a reasonable person when you're young because it's hard to keep conflicting ideas in your mind. But as you get older, it's way easier to see a contradiction in a situation and to see how two things are true at the same time, to see how something is good and bad, and to just be okay with that and to just keep going and to just proceed, not to rage against it, not to argue it, not to battle against it, just to accept that it's true, that there's a bad side to this and there's a good side. And that's just how the fucking, that's how reality is. So let's just take that and let's keep going. Much easier to do when you're older. And kind of a, a related skill, I think, that is also something that's easier to do when you're older is it's just easier to hold an idea in general. I think it could be, hey, let's get real pretentious. Let's get real middle of the night bullshit. It's like easier to, once you learn to be able to accept these like more complex ideas, these more dichotomous ideas, it's like they're easier to hold on to because they're more complex. There's more to them. It's not just a smooth, single, slippery idea. It's this complex rough charcoal thing it's got a lot of fucking uh, surface area it's got a lot of texture and i think how you could relate that to writing <laughs> let's talk about writing shall we one of the rare times that we're going to talk about actual writing is now that i'm older like again this is one of these things where i don't think it's coincidence that the average age of a novelist is you know, late 30s, uh, mid to late 30s or whatever. It's because a novel is such a complex thing. It's just by nature of being long, you know, it's going to be complicated in some way. And when you're older, it's just easier to hold on to these complicated ideas, these complicated feelings. Because like, I've been working on this novel for like two years or whatever, and it's it's still so clear, you know? It's like every day I work on this thing, every day I think about this thing for months and months and months and months and months, and I haven't stopped and I haven't let go, and it hasn't, it's so clear to me. It's still so clear after all this time. Like it hasn't gotten dull, it hasn't gotten confused, it hasn't gotten muddled. What I see in my head, what I'm envisioning is still there, and it's so clear, and like that makes such a difference, you know? Like I've still got this novel that I worked on. The closest thing I had to a finished novel before this was this novel I wrote when I was in my early 20s. Every week I would write a chapter and put it up on my website. And it was like this high school drama that just, just derailed. I know I've brought it up before, but it just unraveled. 
so badly that I've been trying to think of a way to fix it for the last 20 years. <laughs> I never thought of it. It's never coming, man. It's never going to happen. Whatever it's been, 16, 17 years or something. I guess I'd just have to start over someday. But even then, I don't know. It's just not clear. I just don't know. I went in not clear, and it'll never be clear. It's the idea of a 21-year-old person. You know, it's not it's just not something that you can hold on to. It's not something I can grip because it's, it's just not there. It just doesn't have the complexity of age, you know? Whereas this story, it's like, I mean, it's walking some fine lines, this novel I'm writing now. Like, again, there's a lot of ways it could fail. Like, other people might not like it. It might not get published. It might be something that seems bad to people. It might seem limited. It might seem lacking. It might seem boring. I don't know. But I know to me, it's what I want. Like, for instance, I was thinking, being here in Japan, it's like kind of hypocritical of me that I found the, uh, what is the word people use? How the culture in North America, especially in the United States, but also in Canada, very individualistic, very individual-based. And going to Amsterdam and seeing how it's more of a... I mean, it's all degrees, you know? It's still very much like a Western society, but it just is more culturally, like, unified. It's a, a monoculture, that's the word. It's like, it's just clear in the air. It's just clear in how things are that... It's not, it's not the Wild West like North America is, you know? It's not, hey, if you have a crazy idea, you should do it. It's admirable for you to go out on your own and beat a path through the woods and find a crazy way to live your life. Like, you can just feel that it's not like that. Obviously, Japan is a monoculture, like way more so. But why don't I feel bad about it while I'm here, you know? <laughs> is it just on the surface level? Is it just because the people in Japan are polite and nice to me? Is that really it? It's just that people are aloof in Amsterdam and that rubbed me the wrong way? Where people in Japan are nice, so I'm okay with it? Is that really all that it is? It might be. Maybe I am that shallow. This is definitely going to be to the detriment of the sound quality of this episode that I'm battling against a bunch of fucking frogs. <laughs> but hey, whatever, man. It feels nice. I love this balcony and this view. It feels fucking good, man. But yeah, I've gotten little, little, uh, little tiny examples, small little anecdotes of things that I know I would have it would have driven me crazy to grow up here in Japan because it really is like way more conformist than anywhere I've ever been of like, I mean, just you go into a convenience store and, uh, you know, people greet you in a little sing song and they're just playing fucking the Muzak version of daydream believer over and fucking over. There's like six little Muzak songs in the 7-Eleven that they play all day, and it just must be a goddamn nightmare to even be in there, but the workers are just in there, and they just do their work, and like people are almost like robots, but they're very nice robots, you know? And yeah, I do feel extremely hypocritical about it. It's just like, hey, as long as you're serving my needs and you're being nice to me, then suddenly I don't mind, suddenly I'm okay with this. 
But I just, I could never do it. I could never do it. I could never fall into line the way people do here. I would go crazy. But I was thinking, so about this novel that I'm writing, you know, it's the, uh, it's Rhino Girl on the starship full of, uh, on the space station full of jellyfish aliens, you know, and like on the surface it is like, rugged individualist versus uh, conformist society. You know, that could be the take. But but I really don't want it to be that, you know, because that, that feels like the thing I would have written when I was like 15, you know, that would have been a piece of shit. <laughs> you know? I don't want to do that when I'm in my late 30s, you know. It's not complicated enough. It's not true. It's just some silly made-up bullshit. So as I've been writing, my my main character is just less and less that archetype, you know? If anything, she's just, like, crazy. She's from, like, a, a weirdly abusive society that pushes individual uh, survival and individual achievement to the detriment of any kind of togetherness or family connection or communal anything, you know? It's, like, clearly not healthy. It's fucking crazy shit. Whereas the jellyfish aliens, like, I just, uh, I don't want, I don't even want them to seem like a bad society, you know, maybe a little boring, maybe a little bland, but I was thinking that, like, these little, little examples of things I've seen in Japan that I'm like, whoa, you know, it's a little sign of just like, I guess it's just like stuff like, when it goes beyond just somebody being polite, and it seems like, I don't know, you can look up, there's a million and one YouTube videos about, uh, you know, things that are weird about Japan and ways that if you try to move here and live here and integrate, like ways that you'll, you'll just go crazy because there are times when it's like people, it's like they disregard reality in the interest of following whatever prescribed social path has been laid out for them, you know, like as long as it's uh, something that is socially acceptable that they act this way or act that way, then they're fine with doing it. And if it's something that falls outside of the sphere, they suddenly just, it's like it's not there. It's like it's invisible. And all I've seen are just tiny little inconsequential little examples, but it really is like, that's just, that's the, that's the creepiness, you know, that's the thing that there's just no end to. It's like, all right, if you're willing to follow this rule and you're willing to follow that rule and they're just little rules and they don't matter, but they don't make sense, but you're willing to do it. Like, where does that stop? When, when do you not follow the rule anymore? And I know it's cliche and I know it's tiresome to just bring up like World War II and Hitler and stuff, but it really is just the best example of the modern era of just like, there's no limit. There's no end. There is not anything that you'll, you can ask someone to do when they're in that mindset of conforming to the mores of their society. You know, as long as they're down to fucking clown, man, <laughs> which is the worst way to describe World War II imaginable. If you get a person who is set up to follow along, they will follow. They'll just do anything. And that's just, that's just how it is. That's just the truth. That's just how, that's why I can just never be okay with that. I just can never accept it, you know? And it's like, hey, if other people act like that, if societies are like that, that's fine. But me personally, not ever, not ever. 
just be the most annoying fuck in the world till the day I fucking die. But I, I'm never going to accept something that doesn't make sense. I'm never going to do it. Fucking put me on my knees and shoot me in the back of the head because I'm never going to do it. So I was thinking, maybe this little jellyfish society in my story, like, maybe I should be taking some of these feelings, some of these examples, and just, like, applying them to the story, you know? Maybe I should be finding ways to designate this culture as more of a, you know, not just a monoculture, but a dangerous monoculture, you know, like, that won't say no to the crazy edicts and won't refuse to do something immoral, you know, like they'll just follow along. But I was thinking like the only reason that thought really crossed my mind is because I'm a, I was like, I'm afraid that people will read this story and they won't see the jellyfish as the bad guys, you know, they won't see what the problem is with these jellyfish aliens. They won't see why the protagonist of the story hates them so much and goes crazy and blows up their fucking space station. And because there's not a clear, you know, villainous society, because there's not a clear delineation as to why these people are the bad guys, maybe the story will seem vague and indistinct and boring. But all of this was just to imagine, like, what somebody else might have a problem with. (laughs) Because me, I don't have a problem with that. This little vision in my brain doesn't involve any of this stuff. And the little vision in my brain, that's not how these jellyfish are. They're not the bad guys. They're not the villains. They're not... Like, I feel like it, it would be too simple to do that, you know? Like, if I start planting seeds in this story that, oh, these jellyfish people, they're kind of dangerous. They're not to be trusted. They're just uh, little sheep. They'll just follow along, you know? You tell them to march, and they're going to march, and we can't have that. That would make it too easy, because then that would be, like, a justification for why the main character does all these terrible things to this society. You know, why the main character can't fit in. Why she, when she gets the power to, she starts fucking with her whole place. And yeah, it just turns the whole story back into like that version I was saying like when I was 15 that I would have written. Like, oh, the rugged Clint Eastwood uh, fucking tough-ass motherfucker comes in and cleans house on this fucking den of little, you know, fucking (laughs) goose-stepping, fucking jackbooted, marching, uh, squid people. (laughs) And it's just, it's too plain, it's too boring, it's too simplistic, it's too pointless a story. It's like, ah, I'm the good guy, they're the bad guys, we overcame, like, like, that's where I was saying, like, I feel like it's, uh, those are definitely cicadas, right? Can you hear that shit? Maybe it's like cicadas versus frogs out there. I don't know what the fuck's going on out there. But yeah, I just I just don't want the story to have like a clear agenda like that or a clear like point in quotation marks or like a clear message that I'm trying to get through. Because if there's a if there's a message, if there's a point it's that it shouldn't be that simple that you know it's it that painting situations with this simplistic brush is not 
useful and it's not what an adult should do you know that's teenager bullshit so i don't want the good guy to be all that good and i don't want the bad guys to be all that bad and i want it to just be a big mess just a big swirl and in a way that kind of begs the point then what is the point of this what is the point of this story what's the point of writing this but i'd say that too about if it was just a more concise and easily delineated plot what would be the point of that what would be the point of the little morality play so i need to get into the larger question what's the point of any of this but i guess the point is more just to go with my feelings of just i have this feeling of a tone like i had a, a plot set up before i even started but the plot was really just weird loner in an uncomfortable place destroys that place that's really it and that's just the feeling that i had that is still there like that hasn't gone away at all and like i've kind of shined it up you know like it keeps getting more and more clear and more crystallized in my brain but really it's just it's just this tone of the story this sense like i do think plot is important and i do think endings are important but overall it's like the tone is more kind of what i really care about what i really want i just want this feeling to be captured this feeling that's been in my head for two years it's just this feeling inside me this feeling about this situation that isn't easy to describe and isn't easy to put in a little container and explain I want like as complex of of a feeling as possible to be put forward, you know? Like I feel like that's the point of a novel. That's the point of really spending a long time looking at a situation and being in a place and being with characters and feeling the sense of the story and the tone of the story is just to get across something complicated and subtle you know like a lot of subtleties to this like a, a nuanced feeling i guess that's it that's what i want to do so i can't put in stuff like uh you know the uh let's put in some examples of how the little jellyfish society are a bunch of little dum-dums and let's put in some stuff about how uh, our cool protagonist is uh, the toughest coolest person you could ever want to be Instead, let's obscure both those things. Let's make, it's kind of like, yeah, let's take that basic uh, fucking cool stranger comes into town and cleans things up and let's, let's make it muddy. Let's make it murky, you know? It's like, who the fuck is this person? Why are they even here? What do they have to do with this society? Why do they belong here? They don't belong here. Why are they having anything to do with this? And yeah, this little society of these little people, I mean, they're just doing their thing. They weren't hurting anybody. What's so bad about them, really, you know? <laughs> so these are all things that could make somebody read this book and just be like, what the fuck was the point of this? What the hell do you think you're trying to get across here with this fucking ridiculous thing that is all just indistinct and seemingly pointless? Like, that could totally happen. 
but that's what I'm going for. That's what I want. That's the feeling that's still in my head that is staying in my head that I just every night it's like a bobble that I turn around in my brain and it's still there and it's still solid and it's still, it's like I got to do it. I got to get this thing out in little tiny bits, slow but sure over all these months and months and months. And I think that's one reason too why I kind of like to think about a lot of my stories, but this story in particular, I really do think about it a lot as a movie. I like visualize scenes as though they were a movie. I think about the whole kind of thing as if it were a movie because I really feel like I could, I could do that. You know, it's weird. It's like I've got other stories that I'm like, and it would be pretty, pretty cool if this story was a movie. But I wouldn't want to try to do it myself. Like this other story that I'm writing on the side about these two little girls that get stranded on an island. And uh, just, it's a, they're stuck on the island. They do have like this food machine. It's like near future. So they got this food machine so they don't have to worry about starving. So the story is just about them trying to not go crazy. I really think would be a cool movie, but I don't know that I would want to try to direct it, you know? I just, I think that it would be better put in somebody else's hands. I just don't feel like that's something that I, I don't know, I don't feel the same way about that story. That story is like, it's in a different category in my brain. The whole thing is like, it's shorter, it's more like novella type thing. I'm writing it kind of more off the cuff, you know? I've still got a plot, I've got an ending, i got notes but it's it doesn't it doesn't have the same level of complexity yet anyway in my mind whereas this story about the fucking rhino girl on the space station like i just feel like not that i've ever directed a movie in my life but it's just that basic thing of the idea that the director is where the buck stops you know the the director is the one who has to make the final call you know, I don't think I could direct it in the sense of cameras and lenses and things, you know, get me, get me a DP, get me a director of photography and let him do his thing. I feel like I could be the director in the sense that at any time, for any scene, at any moment, any question that somebody would have about what is the tone here, what is the tone of voice, how would this, how should this be delivered, how what emotional state are these characters at at this moment what are the implications of these little moments that are happening and these things that they're saying and these little things that they're doing i always would know i would absolutely know i would never ever even wonder i would not it would not be a question like i just know i know so clearly But I was thinking about that today because I was watching just, uh, there's this TV show called High Maintenance that started off as a web series. And I, I, I was kind of, I found it like right away. I remember it was, I don't remember, I heard about it somewhere. And from right away, I was like, holy fuck, I just, I really like it. I just really like the tone of it. I love how it feels. And then Vimeo bought it. It was like the first Vimeo original series. And then HBO bought it and then it moved to HBO. And it's like one of these shows that it's just like, uh, it's just this guy who's like a weed delivery man in New York and just the different people that he meets and just like different, each episode's about different people. And I don't love every episode, but the episodes that I love are so good. And in particular, there's this episode called Scrumple. That's just these two characters hanging out in a hospital. 
one dude breaks his arm and uh it's just this this girl looking after him i don't want to give away the dumb little details of the things that happened but it's it's such a good episode and just watching it and like the tone of that show in general ever since i started watching it just that tone i realized today like i kind of think of my my alien space station story kind of like lost in translation but if it was a sci-fi movie but not really the feeling of lost in translation is a little too swimmy it's a little too dreamy really i want it to feel like high maintenance high maintenance is just man it just feels good <laughs> it just feels so good and this episode in particular this episode scrumple s-c-r-o-m-p-l-e feels just right you know it's like i guess if i weren't directing the movie if i was to hire someone to direct it it would be the the team they were husband and wife but they actually got divorced but who uh, directed that episode and created that series and i was thinking today that the actress from that episode i don't remember her name i've never seen her in any other stuff i should look her up and see what else she's been in I was thinking, I wonder, like, if I was to make this thing, if it was a movie, obviously it's CG time, you know? It's a fucking big rhino alien on a jellyfish space station. It's it's all CG, <laughs> big time CG. And I've got all these little touch points in my mind for how things would be. Like, the rhino aliens are kind of based, I already said this a couple episodes ago, but on uh, Neff, the last boss from the old video game Altered Beast. It's all old video games mostly. The um, the space station itself I think of as the first planet uh, from Fantasy Star 1 on the Sega Master System. Like when you would talk to people in town and behind them is just like uh, domed buildings and that's kind of what I think of. And there's this uh, Sega Genesis and Super NES game called Flashback where there were these little flying taxis that could pick you up and fly you around and even just the little machines that you would use to call the taxi or to recharge your shield batteries and stuff as i think of that too in the space station things would kind of look like that i realized the other day that my jellyfish aliens probably the closest thing would be like abe sapien from hellboy i mean even it's kind of a hellboy thing i guess if you just take hellboy as the big rhino and abe sapien as the jellyfish guy i mean the tone is wrong for those characters but visually or whatever that's pretty close but anyway for this rhino girl uh i didn't have this in mind when i started writing the story but it came to me later is uh so there's this MMA fighter named Shayna Baszler, and I kind of, I never really watch MMA, but I knew about her because she used to guest all the time on this uh, podcast, this guy Aubrey Sitterson used to do, what was it called? It was like a wrestling podcast. He stopped doing it, and I don't remember what it was called anymore. So I kind of knew of her. And then she signed up to NXT, which is the developmental brand of WWE and it's the good part like WWE sucks it's fucking terrible it's just garbage you know I only watch it because I like wrestling but NXT is actually good like they really do try they build storylines and they build characters and they're really careful about it and it's uh it's only an hour a week and it's it's really good so she uh yeah she I think she was in her mid-30s at the time she's like that's enough fucking MMA getting my head kicked in I'm gonna go be a pro wrestler and man, just the way this woman, Shayna Baszler, carries herself, particularly 
in the realm of pro wrestling because pro wrestling is so much about the character you know it's a it's a little movie it's a little stage play it's like watching uh stuntmen do a live action fight scene basically you know and just the way she holds herself the way she carries herself the way she walks around is so fucking perfect i just realized all of a sudden it was this it was when was it was she was i think she was feuding with nikki cross so if you like look up Shayna Baszler versus Nikki Cross, you can probably find, you know, one of the little packages they put together to hype up the match. And oh man, it's so perfect. Like if I was to hire someone just to be, you know, before we put the CG on this character, before we turn you into this armor-plated rhino, we just need the motions, we just need the body, we just need the behavior. Shayna Baszler is who I would hire. It's perfect. I love so much the way she walks, the way she moves. It is just perfect, man. It is perfect. And I would kind of think, like, I wonder if, like, what if, could Shayna Baszler play the character? But I don't think so. It's just not, I really do like her, and she has this excellent... She's, you know, she's a born villain <laughs> type of thing, but it's just not quite there. Like, I feel like I would want her to be the body of this character, but her acting chops, no offense to her at all. Obviously, I'm a huge fan. I think she's super awesome, but I don't know that her acting chops would be there for what I would want. Because again, like, like I was saying, I just, this, this whole thing, this whole story, this whole little tale is so clear in my mind that... It wouldn't be a like, oh, I don't know, let's try it out. Let's just see if it works. It's like, no, I just know. It's not right. It's not right. So I was watching this Scrumple episode of High Maintenance that I've probably watched more than any other episode. Like, it's one of those shows that there's some episodes I've only seen two or three times. But then there's the, ep, you know, just like, because I'll watch through the whole series. You know, I've watched through it two or three times, so just I've seen them two or three times. But then there's these really standout episodes that just like grab me so much and I'll just watch those like 10 or 20 times you know <laughs> like I've definitely seen that scrumple episode 20 times by now and I was watching this actress who I would look up her name but uh the internet is out again at my Airbnb which uh might explain why I'm doing this right now but yeah I was watching that episode and I was just like what about this woman what about her you know, it's like this character she's playing in this episode is not like my fucked up rhino character, but there's just something about her and the, just the energy she kind of exudes and just the way that she is in a weird way, like something about her, it just really clicked when I saw this woman in this character in this episode, right? I'm just like, honestly, I think it's almost like a, like, I feel like this is how I would be if I were a girl. One of those feelings of just like, it's just something there that I'm like, I just feel something. I just vibe with this, this character so much. It's so weird. Just all of the little ways that she acts and the little subtleties to her facial expressions and the way she just is, you know, is like just something there that I'm like, whoa, whoa. It's one of those things that, you know, just doesn't happen that often. And I feel like that is what I would you know, like that is what feels important is like, even though she's not demonstrating anything in this performance that lines up with a fucking 
psychologically fucked up, super rattled, crazed war orphan barbarian rhino character, you know? Like, there's just nothing there that feels like that. But it's like, even though I'm describing this character like Conan the fucking barbarian, the circumstances of the story are really low key and really quiet and mostly really just calm. You know, it's just this boiling that's happening under the surface. It's just this, you know, this fucking, the way that I've felt my whole life. I'm just like, I just want to fucking burn this world to the ground. <laughs> and I can't, I just gotta be nice to people, you know? Just that stupid teen shit that I guess, I guess I never lost that particular teenage bullshit, but... But yeah, it's just weird. It's like, I just feel like this, maybe this actress would get what I'm trying to say, you know, would get the little things, would just get the little, the little moments, you know, like Shayna Baszler would be the, the, the swagger, the braggadocious, the tough side. But then when we get underneath that and we see the insecure neuroses and shit that are really making this character tick. This woman from High Maintenance, I just feel like, man, I would definitely, uh, she'd be my number one for casting, you know? Maybe it wouldn't work out, but you know what, fucking, let me, I'm sure I can figure out this lady's name here. Let me fucking, I finished watching the episode and I deleted it off my phone. Here I'm inside now, so we get different sound quality. But the reason it was on my phone and the reason I watched it again is I was just digging through my portable drive. I just got, you know, backups of shit. And I just saw it sitting there. It's the only episode of High Maintenance that I just got on my portable drive. Just sitting there. Is season two, episode five of the HBO run of High Maintenance, Scrumple. Here it is, all right. Let's check these credits. Internet still doesn't work. Good. <laughs> Directed by Katya Blitchfeld and Ben Sinclair. I wonder about that, if I was to I mean, this is all bizarre fantasy stuff. Like, since when am I directing a movie? I haven't even fucking finished writing my novel yet, you know? Obviously a long way to go from there. But say I was to to hire them. I mean, they worked together on the show because they were married. Now that they're split up, I don't think I would hire them both to direct together, to co-direct. So I wonder who's the one? Who is the one? Is it Katya or is it Ben? You know? I don't know. But again, I feel like I could direct this shit myself. Here we go. Starring Ben Sinclair, but featuring Kate Lynn Scheel. Kate Lynn Scheel. And the Lynn is just L-Y-N. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a neat thing to lay around and think about. Just like to imagine, like, what if? What if somehow some crazy rich benefactor was like, hey, you want to make a movie, pal? Here's a, I don't know what I would need. Let's lowball it at $8 million. <laughs> Here's $8 million. 
Here you go, kid. Make a fucking movie out of your story, out of that novel you wrote. You get to direct it. You get to cast it. You get to edit it. You can do it all. <laughs> I don't know what world that would ever happen, but it's just fun to think about, like, yeah, you know, I would direct it in the style of Katya Blitchfeld and Ben Sinclair. I would get Shayna Baszler to do all the mocap. And then I would get Caitlin Scheel <laughs> for the dialogue and the face acting and stuff. And man, it would be the coolest. I don't have anything about uh, the jellyfish guy. I think that's, again, that's why the only example I could think of was Hellboy, which is, like, again, I'm not, not really that into Hellboy. Just it's the only thing I can think of. Maybe that's uh, a bad sign. Maybe it's underdeveloped. I don't know. But even that, I think I could, I could argue that maybe it's because, really, this story is only about two characters, really. But really, it's only about one, you know? It's like my rhino girl is, she cares about what she cares about. She's in her own little head. The amount that she really cares about anybody else the amount that she really cares about this other character is probably, I guess, about the amount that I care about him, you know? <laughs> Just not as much. I don't want to sell out his uh, species. I don't want to paint him as uh, oversimplified. I don't want to make him into some, some, you know, fall guy, some paper tiger. But at the same time, he's not the main character, and he never would be. <laughs> so... But yeah, just sitting around thinking about these things, like even if it's a total fantasy, like who cares if I never make a movie of this novel? Who gives a shit? Of course, it's like not exactly a likely thing to happen, but it's just like a useful exercise. And like, I think it's a good sign if you can do that. If this is like what is fun, if it's fun to just sit around and like watch, watch a TV show and find an actor and be like, just imagine it. Imagine if I was directing the movie of this story and this was the actor. How would that go? You know, and just just roll it around in your brain, man, and just like see what comes up. And like this is how you think of the subtleties and the nuances and all the little ins and outs and all the weird things about this story that make it super, super idiosyncratic and super you. Is this, if you do this every day over and over and over for years and you still like it and you still want to do it and this is like what... This is where your mind goes back to. This is what you're interested in. Like the fact that I'm still interested in this fucking story after all this time. Because I'm still not done. Not even done the first draft. I got a long ways to go. So this is important. This is good. This is like, this is the money melon, man. This is when you know this is the shit. This is the, the stuff. I'm not going to say the one because there's going to be a bunch. But this is one of the, <laughs> this is one of them. Man, does that ever, I mean, I'm just like, I just happen to look up in the sky and there's a little blinking light and I can kind of make out. Really, I guess I can really only see a blinking light. Like I only, I only know it's a plane because I know about planes, but it's just fucking crazy, right? Like this plane is just flying through the sky. What the fuck is that? And it's mundane to people. It's not even exciting that an airplane is just flying through the sky. Like, man, on the way here, I mean, it's just this tiny little flight from Tokyo to Fukuoka, it's like an hour or something. But we went above the clouds, you know? Like just all the fucking millions of people that lived throughout all these years 
that could imagine what it looked like to see the clouds from above them, but they're never going to know. They could never, ever see that, you know, unless they were like on the tallest fucking mountain peak ever. It's still rarefied air, man. It's a very rare thing. We can just do it. That flight was like a hundred bucks. It's ridiculous. <laughs> So, if you listen to all that, if you're still listening to this podcast, man, that's cool. <laughs> Good on you. Because what the fuck, man? What the fuck? It could be real easy to hate the shit out of this. I think I've said this before in this podcast, too, but you've got to be pretentious to fucking do anything in this world, you know, to make something special, to make something awesome, to make something that stands out. You gotta be pretentious. You gotta have your idea in your mind for two years and have it not go away. And you gotta be so proud of the fact that you can hold your story in your mind at this level of fidelity for two years that you're willing to make a podcast about it. That's the kind of douchebag you've gotta be. You gotta be this kind of a dumb asshole. So fuck it, man. Just embrace it. Embrace that you're a fucking pretentious piece of shit. Just you're a big sack of fucking pretentious garbage. Just fucking embrace it and do it and be it and fucking rock that shit, man. Fuck this world. Kick it in its fucking face and make a movie. Failing that, make a novel. <laughs> make a novel first, then make a movie. Priorities, man. One step at a time. Alright, it is. It's like 3 in the morning. I gotta go to bed. What the fucking... What the shit, man. Here's a song I was listening to on the fucking uh, subway today. There was this band, Janice Stark, that I heard about because uh, the guitarist... I think his name is Giz Butt. <laughs> he was the touring guitarist for The Prodigy in the 90s. And uh, I was so into the prodigy. I mean, I still am. Still am. Rest in peace, Keith Flint. But he started this side band that, really strange, where they did this one kind of punk album that was really awesome and it's just like excellent. Like eight out of ten of the songs are A plus classics. But it didn't really catch on. It didn't, you know, had a couple little singles that hit on movie soundtracks and stuff. It didn't do nothing, but it didn't do amazing. And then they put out another album that was like, I think it was like a metal album. I really didn't get into that one. I don't know. That was weird. But the original Janice Stark album, Great Adventure Cigar, is one of these like forgotten classics of the 90s. It's so fucking awesome. It's just really good. And this is uh, track five, right in the middle. It's called Dynamo. And even though it's like a pretty punk-infused album, this is the longest song. This one is like five minutes long. And it's just this, it's so, it's so good. It's so good. I love this song. It's just this like awesome slow build. It just, it just, ah, it's like, again, it's like, bah, so good. I think, well, that's one thing I meant to say is this, the complexity of an idea that you can put forward in a novel. In a way, I feel like the only other place you can do that is in a song, <laughs> even though a song's only three to five minutes long or whatever. But you can put forth these, these ideas and these feelings and just like get inside people in this weird way with songs that you just can't with other things. 
And maybe you can't with a novel either, but that's what I'm trying to do. Like, I want my novel to feel like a song. You know, one of those songs that you just can't put your finger on, all the weird shit that it makes you feel. That's what I want to do. Anyway, Dynamo by Janice Stark. Yeah, it's a real cool song. Kind of builds up, slows down, builds up, slows down, and then it just ends with this just long build. It, like, crescendos midway through, but then it, like, just builds up and just builds up and builds up, and it's just so cool. So fucking cool. Anyway, here's Janice Stark. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Where'd you get it? I got the nurse. Thanks, Thank you, Scump. Hey, do you think we should call Mike and Judy? No, I think Mom and Dad are gonna worry too much. Let's just... Daddy, I won't let you're on. You can have me plug in right here. <laughs> you I'll have what she's having. I'll have the soup. <laughs> you can have some of this soup. They think they have put it right in. <laughs> Do you think I'm a drug addict? Drag act? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think drug act. Oh, do you think so? Where is she? Hmm? Where are your girlfriend? She's working. Oh. I love her. You do? Yeah, when you have the need, I will donate the seed when you need to breed. That's just weird. No, I'll just do it with her. It won't be weird. <laughs> I'll just put it in her. No one will know. I'm sure Beth will love that. Who's Beth? You don't remember Beth? The teeny tiny Aussie. Oh, yeah, Beth. Yeah, Beth. Where's Beth? Where is Beth? Where's Beth? <laughs> She's busy, man. Busy. That's cool. You found somebody who's not crawling up your butt every minute of the day. Yeah. I let her go up there once oh, or twice. Really? I liked it. I'm happy for you. Thank you. I'm glad somebody's having sex. She and I haven't had sex in three months. Hey, let's smoke some pot. I just smoked. Oh, yeah. Watch the voltage meter firing up into six figures. Dynamo. Looking for reaction. Staring out in all directions. Dynamo. Brings me back, reminding me of what you lack. The quality of life is cast. <laughs>